But anyway, what are we receiving? The fullness of Christ in every area of our lives. The fullness of Christ, nothing less. The fullness of Christ. Greater works will we do. He said so. Because we have the Holy Spirit and we are walking under an open heaven and the kingdom of God has been transferred to us. His kingdom. And we're just here to live it out. So today, the Lord instructed me to talk about four spiritual keys to receiving the fullness of Christ. Four spiritual keys. Now please remember, beloved, this is, these are not rules and regulations, right? These are Holy Spirit instructions, okay? We do not live in bondage to religious thinking. We live in the freedom of Christ and everything that he died to give us. But there are certain things that even he did, and we want to do the same thing. So the first one is prayer. First one he said to talk about was prayer. What does prayer do? Prayer opens the door to God in our lives. We invite him in when we pray. He's always there, okay? He never leaves, he never forsakes. But when we pray, we open the door to him to come in and give us wisdom and guidance and peace and joy and, and all the fruit of the Spirit. It brings God on the scene, right? We bring him into our counsel. We bring him into our counsel. It is the key to the presence of God in your life, in my life. It is the key to his presence. It is communion, communion with our loving Father. Hallelujah. And it brings his results to us. It brings his results in our lives. Kingdom living. Kingdom living into our lives. It changes the entire atmosphere. Changes the entire atmosphere. James 5.16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, righteous woman, availeth much. The Aramaic translation from the Aramaic, for the power of the prayer which a righteous person prays is great. Do you want to have great power? Yeah, I want to have great power. So we pray. We pray. Young's literal says, be confessing to one another the trespasses and be praying for one another that you may be healed. Now that, that's all types of healing. That's any type of healing, any necessary healing. Emotional, physical, spiritual, all of it. Very strong is a working supplication of a righteous man. Very strong. Do you want to be strong? Then develop your prayer life. Rotherhams emphasized. Be openly confessing, therefore, one to another your sins, and be praying in each other's behalf. 
We need to pray one for, for one another. It's very important. Your brother, your sister may be struggling, may be having a weak time, and you pray for them, and you strengthen them, and you edify them. You pray with them, even better. You can pray for them, you can pray with them. That ye may be healed. Much availeth the supplication of a righteous man when it is energized. I absolutely love that statement. When it is energized. And when you go to the interlinear and when you go to Strong's, it says that that word right there, it means to be active. Be active in your prayer. To be mighty in. When you pray, think about the fact that you are being mighty. You know, you're not just offering up passive words. It is mighty. It is mighty. It availeth much. It says, exhibits activity. It is solemn. It is earnest. It is operative. Your prayers are operative. Even if you don't feel the results, even if you don't see results, we're not moved by what we feel or see, but by the word of God. It says active. It says to put forth power. Your prayers put forth power. Do you realize that? It's not a passive exercise. It is an exercise in power, in authority, in dominion. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Oh, wait. You know, I want to go on, actually, on, on, in the emphasize. It says, Elijah was a man afflicted like us. He was afflicted like we were. He had moments of fear. He had moments of doubt. It says, and he earnestly prayed that there might be no moisture, and there was no moisture on the land for three years and six months. Do you think that prayer got answered? Do your prayers get answered? Yes. Yes. And again he prayed, and the heaven gave rain and the land shot up her fruit. Hallelujah. What happens when I pray? My land shoots up fruit. Right? Your land shoots up fruit when you pray. You are a mighty warrior when you are praying. As a result of Elijah's prayer, there was no rain for three and a half years then he prayed, and then there was rain, and the land shot up fruit. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always, rejoice always, even when you're going through a dry time, a hard time, a difficult time, rejoice anyway. That allows God to remain on the scene, right? It allows him to stay in there with you. You rejoice, you just give thanks. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we're going to rejoice, we're going to continually pray, 
and we're going to always give thanks for the goodness of God. We're going to focus on the goodness of God. We're going to believe in the answer to prayer. So, in order to do that, how do we pray? How do we pray? You do not beg God. You don't beg God for something he's already done. Right? You find the word. You have faith in God that he is who he says he is. That he is an honorable God. He is a faithful father. He is trustworthy. What he speaks, he means. He means it, saints. What he speaks in this word to you, he means it. Okay? So we don't beg him. He has already established his word. When Jesus went to the cross, died, was resurrected, went to sit at the right hand of the Father, it was finished. Everything, everything in this word is established. He completed it for you. Okay? So we don't beg God if it says, you can be healed, you're healed. We don't say if. We don't say if it's your will, God. We already know his will. He said it's his will. I never saw Jesus sick anywhere in the scripture. And we walk in the completeness of Christ. We are seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. Right? We receive every spiritual blessing that Jesus has received. The same glory that God gave Jesus, he gave us. I don't, I don't see any lack there. I, I, I really don't. Because <laughs> there is none. There is none. So we find his word. We give thanks. His word is true. His word is active. His word accomplishes. It is alive. It is an alive word. We find the word. We give thanks that it is performed. Not that it might be that it is a current reality. We give thanks that it is performed, and then we stand in faith. We stand in faith. God heard Daniel's prayer when? Months later? No. He heard it the first day. Daniel may not have seen the answer the first day, but that didn't change it. That did not change that the answer was accomplished. Okay? Daniel 10, 12, NIV. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. Do you have a listening God? Do you have a responding God? Do you have a God that cares? Yes. He loves you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to come in his presence and just say, Hey, Dad. Hey, Father. Hey, loving Father. This is going on. He already knows what's going on, but he wants you to come to him and lay it down and receive his rest and his peace. 
his kindness, his goodness, his gentleness. So in this very, just this one little scripture, we have four keys, four keys about how to come to the Lord in prayer. Okay? First, it says, well, not first. I'm going to start on this one first. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding. When we come in prayer, yes, yes, we come with a need or, or whatever, but we don't come with an agenda, okay? We don't come to God and ask his advice so that we can just hang on to our own thoughts and hang on to, you know, human reasoning and hang on to religious thinking and hang on to the traditions of men because none of those stack up in comparison to the thoughts of God. So when we pray, it's just like if, if someone comes to you and they ask for advice, they need to be willing to listen and to understand the advice. Otherwise, they shouldn't even come to you. You know what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? If you go to someone and you want their advice and then you're really just trying to get them to blah, 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 then you just go do your own thing. See, that, that doesn't work, does it? So it says, set your mind to gain understanding from God. Not just to enforce our own agenda or what we necessarily think. We are truly there to seek his will, his way, his thoughts, his enlightenment, his good counsel. He's a lot smarter than you are. So why not take advantage of that? Set your heart to gain understanding from the Lord in every situation. He doesn't think the way you think. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And you know what? When you go to pray, all of a sudden, he'll just drop a new revelation in your heart. And it'll just solve everything. He's so good. It said, humble yourself. Humble. Humble yourself. You humble yourself by being willing to listen. You know, just don't gab the whole time we're praying. If you're gabbing, you're not listening. You need to stop. You need to listen. Humble yourself. If there's sin in your life, say, okay, please forgive me of this sin. Get it out of the way. That cleanses your heart. It helps you hear from him better. It, it's not a difficult thing. It's the best thing you could ever do. Humble yourself in terms of getting rid of your traditional thought, allowing entry, allowing for the entrance of greater thinking. He's the mastermind, right? The Holy Spirit is our counselor. So we repent if necessary, and we repent of hanging on to the traditions of men. For instance, healing again. It is always God's will to heal. So when you go to prayer and you're asking for healing, don't keep giving him a bunch of excuses about why it might not work or why you're disqualified. Enter into his truth. Let him show you his truth, his will, okay? Stand in faith, do not be afraid. Every time, so almost every time the angel would come to someone, they would say, he would say, don't be afraid. See, don't be afraid. We do not have a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. So do not be afraid. Just stand in faith. Right? Don't allow the fear of the devil to keep working on your heart. 
God does not bring you fear. Know to whom you are praying. And know that he is a responder. Know his character. Know his faithfulness. Know his integrity. Know what he has done for you. It says here, and I have come in response to them. He responds to you, beloved. Your prayer changes things. So it's important. James 5.15. And the prayer offered in faith. What's our faith in? Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. But this applies across the board. Sickness is an example here, but we employ this everywhere, everywhere. Faith in Christ, faith in our faithful Father, faith in a God who has told us his heart and who performs his heart, who performs his word, who doesn't change. He doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind about his word, about the covenant that he has given you as a believer in Christ whether that involves healing, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's direction, whether it's strength in time of trouble, whether you need peace, whether it's provision, whatever it is, the prayer offered in faith will make the, person, the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. He comes to your rescue. He comes to your rescue. Next, make your prayer a decree. If it's in the word, it's the truth, regardless of what things look like here. If it's in the word, it's the truth. You decree it. You don't ask for it. You see what I'm saying? Decree a thing. Decree a thing. Joshua need to finish, needed to finish a fight, right? God had brought hailstones. Remember we, we studied that last week? Okay. He needed, or the week before, I don't know which it was, but he needed to finish a fight. So he needed something. He needed something in that situation. So what did he do? He decreed something in prayer. Joshua 10, 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel. So he's talking to the Lord. What is prayer? It's talking to God. It's talking to your father. Sun, stand still over Gibeon. And you, moon, over the va valley of Aijalon. So, that means the result. So, the sun stood still, the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped, in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. Because he decreed a thing. He decreed the result. He decreed what he needed. He was talking to the Father and he said, Son, stand still and moon. There has never been a day like it before or since a day when the Lord listened 
The Lord listened to a human being. Are you a human being? Does the Lord listen? Yes. He listens when you decree his word in faith. Your prayers are powerful. They are effective. They availeth much. I want to read this to you in Rotherham. Amplified. Then spake Joshua unto Yahweh on the day when Yahweh delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. Yea, he said in the presence of Israel, Thou son in Gibeon, be still, and thou moon. Now, Rotherham emphasized those all have exclamation points after them. He's not begging. He's not asking. He is stating. He is commanding. He is saying. He is not wimping out here. He is not asking for a little request. You see? In the Vale of Ajalon, so the sun was still and the moon stayed until a nation should be avenged on its foes. He said a prayer and the whole nation was avenged. Hallelujah. Is not that written in the book of the upright? So then the sun stayed in the middle of the heavens and hasted not to go in about a whole day and there was no day like that before it or after when Yahweh hearkened unto the voice of a man. In that, Yahweh himself fought for Israel. God is fighting, has fought for you. He has accomplished what you need. You are an enforcer when you come to him in prayer, according to his word. You speak his word, you demand his word, you command his word to go forth. Hallelujah. So we let our prayer be a decree. What are some foes? What are some foes that need to be avenged? It could be sickness, it could be oppression, it could be lack, it could be depression, you name it, whatever it is. Where the enemy attacks, it doesn't have to be so. Because God's word is true and final, and in your lips, as a command, it accomplishes exactly what the Lord intended it to accomplish. So we need to let our prayers be decrees, commands, put forth in power, not whining, not begging. Whining and begging are not faith. Enforcing is faith. So, I really think this is going to bless you. I want you to really get a hold of this next insight from the Lord. Because Jesus prayed. He prayed for his disciples, of course. But he prayed for Simon Peter when Simon Peter was going to deny him three times. Okay? Peter was restored. Whoa. That's from the Holy Spirit. If there is someone in your life or some situation that needs restoration, you hang on to this next passage. You hang on to it. You think about it. You meditate on it. Because Jesus prayed 
and restoration came. Nothing is too big. Just because it looks impossible in the physical, or, you, or it's been going on maybe for too long, it does not mean that God has given up on total, perfected restoration in him. Anything, nothing is impossible with your Lord. He is the Almighty. He is the El Shaddai. He is the healer. He is your provider. He is your good shepherd. So let's, let's look at this. Luke twenty two thirty one. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked. Satan has asked. He's always asking. He's always coming to you and asking if you're going to give him permission. He's always coming and wanting to do something evil. Always. Guess what? He has no authority against the believer in Christ. Simon, Simon, this is Jesus. This is red letter. This is Jesus talking. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. He wants to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Jesus talking. You know, he sits at the right hand of the Father ever making intercession for you. If he's ever making intercession, how is he ever making intercession? He's making intercession according to the word of God. He doesn't do anything else. Then follow the word of God. Why is it that we get into our consciousness that we can be defeated? But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. You see that? He's undergirding him. He's saying, I am praying for you that your faith will not fail. And when, this is important, this is so important, this is the key that the Lord showed me, and when you have turned back, this is before it happened, and when you have turned back, Jesus prayed that Simon's faith would not fail, then he makes a decree right here. This is a decree. Are y'all getting this or what? This is a decree of the final result. He says, when you have turned back. He is prophesying the result right here. This is our Lord Jesus. He is prophesying the result, the desired end. How God sees it. When you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. It's already done. Then what happens, you know, Peter goes on and he denies Jesus three times by his words, by his actions. And then three times Jesus comes to him and says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And he's totally restored. And he goes on to be a great apostle. And he does exactly this. Strengthen your brothers. The good work that was originally intended for him, 
The devil could not mess it up. You see that? So we decree the thing according to the word. And we stand and we see the good result. Hallelujah. I mean, that just was like fire in my soul. Anyone want to dance with me? <laughs> that should be so much fire in your soul. <laughs> you should just go out and say, I decree a thing according to the word, and there's nothing you can do about a devil. I am a child, a blood-bought child of the living, holy God, almighty the creator of the universe, and he created you, and you messed up, and look where you are today. But I am not messing up. I am standing on the word. My Jesus loves me. I am blood-bought. I belong to him. Hallelujah. <laughs> I am not turning back. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He is faithful and true. He never changes. Wow, that's rest for my soul. Okay, the second thing he said that the Lord said to talk about was fasting. Fasting. Fasting is a way, a biblical way, to humble yourself before your loving Father. Humble yourself in the sight of God. It establishes obedience. It establishes the lordship of your father in your life. Because you've got to give up something. And believe me, it's not going to be a sacrifice any close to what, anything close to what he did. Nobody likes that word, sacrifice. Get it in your heart. It's a good word. Obedience is a good thing. Because... From that, you can't stop the blessing of God. When you obey him, when you, when you sacrifice unto your father, you cannot stop his blessing. So it helps us. It helps us annihilate the carnal in our lives. Everybody gets hungry, right? So we, 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 we submit that unto the Lord. And it helps us. It helps us hear better from the Holy Spirit. It helps us get revelation of our true condition. Wow, that's a big statement. Not only does it, it, help, it helps you get revelation of your own spiritual condition. You know, because he'll come in, he'll talk to you. It's fasting and prayer together, right? Fasting and prayer together. Because we put down the flesh... We put down the flesh. We get that out of the way, and we're listening to him. We're, hearing, we're, we're, we're wanting to hear from the Holy Spirit. And he reveals things in our lives that need to be gotten out. If we come to him with the intent, like we just studied a minute ago, of wanting to truly hear from him. Okay? Well, why would you fast if you didn't want to hear from him? I mean, that's a whole lot to go through if you don't want to hear from him. <laughs> so it helps us. It helps us. And he will, we'll become more aware. Let's put it that way. We'll become more aware of things in our lives 
that needs to be gotten rid of, of sin that needs to be gotten rid of, well, it'll help us humble ourselves before the Lord. It reveals your strength. You know, he can talk to you. It reveals things to you when you're on a fast. It reveals our strength to us. He'll say, hey, did you see this, sweetheart? Did you realize I put this in you? Go ahead and do that. Use this. You got this really great quality. Just employ it here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Am I making sense to you? So it transforms your life. It'll give you confidence in God. It'll give you confidence in him. It'll, it'll bring you into closer communion. When you're in closer communion, you become more confident in the Lord. You know, you're hearing from him. Jonah, chapter 3, verse 4. You know, when you fast, it'll even reveal demonic forces to you that maybe you hadn't been aware of before. Jonah 3. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yikes! Would you want to hear that? I wouldn't want to hear that. Well, what did the Ninevites do there? It said, the Ninevites believed God. They took the warning, okay? They took the warning. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, we're in Jonah chapter 3, verse 7. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call urgently on God. See, when we pray and fast, we call on the Lord. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. <coughs> Who knows? God may yet relent. God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Now, you all know that you are not living in a dispensation of anger. This is an example, okay? But when things aren't going well and we fast and we hear from God, it allows us, it allows us to hear and he can pour in the goodness that he has intended for us because we are not in a dispensation of, of wrath. We are in the dispensation of grace, right? And he wants to do good. His blessing is for you. So fasting allows us to receive. To hear, to employ, to receive. When God saw what they did, see this turns our heart. This turns our hearts. When they saw what God did and how they turned from their evil ways, see there might just be something we need to turn from. Okay? So when they turned, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So fasting moves God. Why? Because it moves our hearts. 
It moves our heart. It moves our awareness. It moves us. We desire it to hear from him. It puts, it annihilates the flesh that can get in the way. We submit, we humble, okay, ourselves. And he did not bring destruction on them. So fasting moves us into a whole nother spiritual dimension. Fasting and prayer can restore our first love. Don't we remember in Revelation, and I'm not saying this is the only way, but remember he said we, there were, there's a church needs to restore, needs to turn back to the first love. Okay, fasting is a way to do that. To return to your first love. To, it results in a more intimate relationship with God. It is a way to worship him. It is a way to worship him. In Luke 2, it tells us the story of Anna. Anna was a prophetess. And it says in verse 37, she never left the temple, but worshipped day and night. Night and day. Fasting and praying. Coming up to them, that was Mary and Joseph with Jesus, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, she fasted as an act of worship. She was in the temple. It is a way to worship. And what was the result? It opened the door to prophecy. Revelation. Important. She recognized the Redeemer. See that? It brings us into a greater recognition of the Redeemer in our lives and everything that he has done and what he can accomplish. Now just put yourself in Anna's place. Here you are. You're there worshiping and praying, and these people come to you with a baby. How ecstatic would you be if you recognize him as the redeemer of the world? No, really, I'm serious. Just, just put yourself right there where Anna was. How impossible does that seem? Here I am. I'm just sitting here, and these three people just come up to me, and all of a sudden the Lord says, the redeemer is here. And he's, not only that, he's a baby, wasn't what they were looking for. Whoa. She fasted, she prayed, she got revelation, she got a prophetic life. A prophetic life. Do, do you guys think that's pretty big? I think that's pretty big. She was devoted to God. She was fasting as an expression of worship. And it opened the door to prophetic life and gave a revelation of the Redeemer of the entire world. What can he do for you? <laughs> See, you become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Awesome. 
Fasting allows the Holy Spirit to quicken the word of God in your heart and give you wisdom for life, for situation. It helps you become a receiver of the fullness of Christ. It makes your prayer life richer. It makes it more personal, a more personal experience. And it brings you into closer communion with your Father. His truth will become more obvious. His truth will become more meaningful in your life in every situation. We seek God's wisdom. Fasting is a great way to seek God's wisdom. Paul and Barnabas, they prayed and fasted before they, they were choosing elders of the church, right? And so before committing them to the Lord's service, there was fasting. Okay? Acts 14, 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting. See that? with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. See how important it is? Fasting can result in new ministries. It can result in personal revival. It can make you a channel for ministry. It can make you a channel for personal revival or an instrument for personal revival that then reaches out with that revival to other people. That's important, isn't it? Yes. To prepare for ministry. What did Jesus do? He went and spent 40 days and 40 nights doing what? Fasting and praying. And his ministry is launched. What do you think was happening? Download, download, download. Conviction, strength, wisdom. Hallelujah. You know, the thing is, you don't have to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. You don't have to fast for three days. It can be a day. If, you have, if, if, you're, if your brain is sitting here saying that you have medical reasons that you can't fast, well, first ask God to heal it. Then fast. Or if it's a situation where you feel that it's not possible, so just, you know, maybe just pick three foods or something. I mean, I'm just talking off the top of my head. But it doesn't have to be total. It can be three foods that you just cannot do without. Chocolate cake, chocolate shakes, and donuts. you know pick something don't fast staying away from your enemies that's cheating you can't cheat you're meant to minister to your enemies remember it's spirits it's not people so anyway fasting brings victory in difficult situations Fasting brings deliverance, and it brings protection. Ezra. Ezra declared a corporate fast and prayed for a safe journey, safe journey, over 900 miles to Jerusalem from Babylon. Ezra 8, verse 21. There by the 
Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and for our children with all our possessions. So you're speaking to him, you're praying, you're asking him, you're talking to him, you're fasting and praying. I was ashamed. Oh, this is so awesome. This is, this is just so awesome. I just love this, what happens here. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, listen what they had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. See, that's a witness. That was a witness to people. Now what are you going to do, go back and ask them for help? No, you want to be a witness. You want to be a witness. You want to have a strong testimony. Have faith in God. You want a strong testimony? Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Don't look to men. Don't reason it out. Don't go talk to someone and tell you what they need, what you need. Hmm, I really need, you know, XYZ. Well, you just took all your trust out of God's hands. That's not trusting God to go ask, to go let someone know what you need. No, I'm not talking about private counsel, okay? Y you understand what I'm saying? But there's a difference in the motivation of a person's heart. So, anyway, this is what they had said The gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to Him. But his great anger is against all those who forsake him. So see, they wanted to live out that testimony. So we fasted and petitioned our God, not men, about this. And he answered our prayer. Right? He answered our prayer. And he will do that. Now that doesn't mean, okay, please understand me, that doesn't mean that you don't have good, wise counsel, Holy Spirit-filled people that you can talk to about things. You understand that's not what I'm saying? Hello, do you understand that that's not what I'm saying? Thank you. Okay, victory. We gain victory when we go through the process of fasting and prayer. After losing 40,000 men in battle in two days, Oh, ouch, that hurts. I would pretty much feel like a little deflated. The Israelites cried out to God for help. And God gave them victory over the Benjamites. Judges 20. Then the Israelites drew near to Benjamin the second day. This time, when the Benjamites came out from Gibeah, to oppose them, they cut down another 18,000 Israelites. Gee, how? Who? All of them armed with swords. That's a devastating loss. Have you faced loss in your life? Fast and pray. Fast and pray. Then all the Israelites, the whole army, went up to Bethel, and there they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day. <clears throat> this is just one day. They fasted that day until evening 
and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord, and the Israelites inquired of the Lord. See there? The minute we set our hearts to understand. On down to verse 28. They asked, shall we go up again to fight against the Benjamites, our fellow Israelites, or not? The Lord responded, go, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. Hallelujah. As a result of their fasting and inquiry, wisdom from God, they were victorious. So see, fasting accomplishes things in our lives. Okay, the next key, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness frees us from the judgment of this world. Do you want to walk freely in this world? Do you want to, bless you, do you want to walk freely in the love of the Lord? Forgive. Forgive, 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 forgive. Even if you were right, Forgive and do not judge. You can judge a sin, but you cannot judge or hate a person. You can judge a sin. You're supposed to judge sin. You're not supposed to tolerate sin. When we forgive, we are forgiven. Period. Point blank. End of discussion. That's all you got to do. And God's cleansing and his freedom reign in our lives. Forgiveness allows us it allows us to release anger, bitterness, that vindictive heart that no one in this room would ever have, but some people have sometimes. They'll get theirs. I'll get them. Right? <laughs> bitterness. See, these are all things that stop God's blessing. He can't, he can't pour out because we got this, like, iron shell over our hearts. So forgive, 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 forgive. Matthew 7. You know, not judging and forgiveness, they go hand in hand. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in, this is people, for in the same way that you judge others, see, an other, what's an other? An other is a person. You will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You don't want to go around saying, I hope they get theirs. They did me wrong, I hope they get theirs. We don't want to be there. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Other people have indiscretions, they have sins, they make mistakes, so do you. Wake up, so do you! When we forgive, we're refusing to judge that person. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the blank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Woo! That's Jesus talking. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly. And what are you going to see clearly to do? 
to help the one that you were criticizing, to help the one that you thought was wrong. Your heart will melt. Your heart will melt. You will not be judging. You will want to be a help to them. You will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Luke 6, 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Now, what are the things he's talking about here? He's talking about judgment, condemnation, forgiveness, and giving. That's a lot. That's everything. You know? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to be released from the snares of death, from the imprisonment in your own life? Do you want to be set free? Yes. Forgiveness opens the doors, of the windows of heaven unto you. You walk in a whole new spiritual realm. A whole new reality. Kingdom reality. Kingdom. New spiritual condition in our hearts. Our hearts get a whole new, like, what is, what is that when they have talk about, like, trucks and cars? Overhaul. Your heart gets a spiritual overhaul. It gets cleansed, it gets purified. It creates in us a clean heart. And that allows you to go confidently before your Father. Forgiveness allows us to have spiritual freedom. It, it, it allows spiritual freedom to reign in our lives. I want that. I want spiritual freedom reigning in my life. I want to go boldly before the throne of God where my heart condemns me not. I don't want to give the devil any grounds where he can talk to me and say, yeah, but you did this, yeah, but this, yeah, but this, yeah, but this, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah. Because I can just say, uh-uh. Did Paul have a free heart? Murderer? But did he have a free heart? Yes. I have wronged no man. Well, when you don't judge, when you don't condemn, when you forgive, you see, you can do the same thing. You can walk in that freedom without the condemnation. Hallelujah. We have a good, good God. See, you know, sin grieves our hearts. You know, if we're, if we're doing something that doesn't please God, whether you will recognize it at that time or not, it grieves you. It grieves your heart. But there's a way to let go of that grief. There's a way to get rid of that grief. And when we seek forgiveness, and then when we forgive, cleansing comes. Forgiveness is a way to love other people. I'm just going to love you. I'm just going to forgive you. One and the same. Okay? Walking in God's love frees us in every area of our own life and opens the prison doors, and we walk in spiritual newness. John, 1 John 3. <clears throat> this is how, oh, verse 19. 1 John 3, verse 19. 
this is how. Do you think those are three important words? Those are really important words. This is how. I want to know how. I want to know the answer. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. Oh, listen to this. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Do you want to be free from turmoil? Do you want to be free from torment? Do you want to be free from constantly worrying about every mistake, every wrong word you speak? Do you want to be at rest in the presence of your Father? Well, it's, it's a gift for us. If our hearts condemn us, got that? If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. Wow. God is greater than your heart that might condemn you. You walk in the freedom of the blood. You walk in the forgiveness of your Savior. Do you see that? You see what he's saying? He is greater than your own heart that tries to condemn you because the devil wants you to do that. <clears throat> because he wants to keep you out of the loving presence of your Father. He wants you to be ashamed or feel unworthy, or disqualified. You see, you're not unworthy. You're not shameful to your Lord. He has not disqualified you. You just call on the name of the Lord. If, your hearts, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. He knows everything about you. And he does not have condemnation for you. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, in other words, if we receive the forgiveness of our Father, if we receive the love of our Father, see that? If we forgive, we are forgiven. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You get to walk boldly into the presence of your Father. Do you see that? We have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. There isn't a single qualification in that statement. Hallelujah. Rejoice, jump for joy. Thank you, Lord. Right? Whoa. You see, God is so much bigger than our hearts. Unfortunately, we have been raised in a fleshly world. There's a lot of hate out there. There's a lot of anger out there. There's a lot of victimization out there. Right? There's a lot of pain in the world. There's a lot of rejection in the world. There's a lot of oppression in the world. There's a lot of depression in the world. There's a lot of taking, taking, taking in the world. Well, guess what? We have a giving, 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 giving God. We have a forgiving God. If he has forgiven, I can forgive. 
I can move on. I can let that pain go. He will bless me more than I could ever ask, think, or imagine. He says, where was that? Back there in Luke 6, 38. And, you know, unfortunately, everybody uses that for monetary giving. Well, that's one little small element. It shouldn't even be the focus. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. How much do you want to measure out? How much do you want to measure out? Because with the measure that you use, it is measured back to you. Man, I just want to, you know, you just want to forgive everybody, don't you? Okay. If your hearts do not condemn us, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe. Whoa, that's simple. To believe in his son. <laughs> Just believe in his son. This is his command. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And to love one another. Hallelujah. Praise you, Father. Okay, the fourth one, the last one that he told me to talk about today is communion. Communion is the meal that heals. He also gave me a pretty interesting revelation on this one today. <coughs> Probably something you all know already. 1 Corinthians. You see, let's, let's, let's get rid of this sacred cow that God doesn't always intend for people to be healed. But sometimes he uses sickness as a lesson or that it's not his desire. That's garbage. That's the traditions of men that has been formulated as an excuse for people to use when they don't understand. That's all that is. It's an excuse. It is always Always, God's will to heal. 1 Corinthians 11.27 Therefore, who e this is on communion. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself. This is the easy thing. Because, see, when we examine ourselves, when we judge ourselves, we do not get judged. Right? A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. It does not say a man should condemn himself. A man should criticize himself. No, that is not what it says. It says examine. Hey, Lord, what is it that you would like me to change? What is it that I have done that has grieved you? That's not condemnation or self-criticism or putting yourself down or making yourself out to be some unworthy worm. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick 
and a number of you have fallen asleep. To be fallen asleep means that they died before their time. They died before they were supposed to. But if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. So see, that's a really simple thing. I'm just going to judge the situation. If I've done something that is not what God wanted me to do, I'm going to judge that. And then I'm not even going to be judged by anybody else. And I'd much rather be judged by a loving father than by any of you. (laughs) And vice versa. Right? You'd rather be judged by him than by me, right? Ask my kids. (laughs) Well, we do have a job as parents. (laughs) Anyway, <laughs> when, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, we bring ourselves to Christ. We bring ourselves recognizing what he has done. We bring ourselves to him and say, help me walk in love. Help me get this out of the way. See that? He's kind and merciful and good and gracious. He's a healing God. Okay? We bring our lives in line with his will. And and it all turns out for our blessing anyway. So why wouldn't we want to do that? Okay, now this, this is awesome, this part. During the Last Supper, okay, communion, right? That's why we do communion, right? Jesus tells his disciples that he has conferred a kingdom on them. Thank you. That is like pretty big news. That is big, big news. His kingdom conferred on them. Hallelujah. Okay, let's look at this. So he's about ready to leave the earth, right? He's about ready to be resurrected. He has believers at his table. By the way, do you guys remember when we did that message? I don't know when it was. It was called Come to the Table. Y'all ought to go back and get that. Or listen to it on Facebook or I don't know if it's on the YouTube yet. It's, we're in the process of putting everything up on the website. But that's an arduous process. Just because of things that need to be done. But I know you can find it somewhere. You can either get the CD here or you can go to Facebook and go to the old ones and, or, or, or the YouTube. Okay, so anyway, he is communing with them. Come to the table, at the table, all the goodness of God, all the presence of God. Enemies outside, they can't come in. This is personal. This is special. And he specifically at that time makes them aware of the fact that they will walk in his kingdom. Every time you take communion, say, I am receiving the kingdom. I have received the kingdom. I have, not I am receiving. I have received. I have received the kingdom. And I am going to walk in it. 
I am walking in an open heaven. I am walking in the kingdom of God. His kingdom come on earth. He brought the kingdom with him. He confers it in communion. So let's look at this. We need to receive that truth, that truth, every time we take communion. That's why we take communion here every time we gather. We recognize what Jesus did, what God did, what Jesus did, what he has given to us. And we walk in it. Luke 22, 28. You are those, he's talking to his disciples, are you his children? Are you, are you brothers, of Je- brothers and sisters of Jesus? Are you disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're saved, you are. If you're born again, you are. If you're not born again, it's really, really simple. You just say, I choose this day to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I believe that he is the Son of God, that he was raised from the dead, that he was resurrected, that he ascended to the Father, that he poured out his blood on the mercy seat for me, and I receive him as my Lord and Savior. Then you're a kingdom kid. Okay, so he says in verse 28, Luke 22, 28, you are those who have stood by me. <laughs> Look how kind he is. Look how many times they like turned the other way or fell asleep or whatever. <laughs> and he's going, you stood by me. <laughs> Would you like to be that gracious to people who do you wrong? To people who aren't there when you think they should be there? When you have an expectation and they don't meet it? Would you like to be that kind? He says, you've stood by me. Oh my gosh, what a loving father. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. The same, the same, the same. Did you ever look at communion that way? Me neither. And the Lord was talking to me about it. Do you realize what you have, Lisa Marie? So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones. Are you ever going to have difficulty again walking boldly into the throne of God? Receiving everything that he has for you. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. His kingdom come here, his kingdom conferred on us, transferred to us. We enter boldly. Hallelujah. I, 
I love this so much that I thought, oh, what do the other, what do the other translations say? Young's living, literal. And ye, ye are those who have remained with me in my temptations. Well, they're snoring. And I appoint to you, as my Father did appoint to me, a kingdom that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and may sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes. You are appointed to the kingdom. He hasn't closed the door. He hasn't left you out. Rotherham. Ye, however, are they who have remained throughout with me in my temptations. And I covenant. That means unbreakable, undeniable. Covenant. I covenant unto you as my Father hath covenanted unto me a kingdom that ye may drink at my table. That's everything that Jesus had. All abundance, all goodness, all provision, all peace, all joy all goodness, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit upon thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You see, we are walking in the Jesus kingdom. We are communing with our Father as we walk here on earth. And communion reminds us of that. We take part anew every time we take communion. We remember, we accept, we enforce the transferred, the appointed, the covenanted kingdom of God in our lives. And when we become that to other people, what greater pleasure, what greater joy, what greater gift could you have in this earth than to be able to confer the kingdom to somebody else? So when we take communion, as God has set forth in his scriptures, in his holy scriptures, we receive the fullness of Christ. We receive the fullness of Christ. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I receive from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We are remembering that we are covenant kingdom kids. We are remembering the covenant that he died to give us. We are enforcing covenant reality, covenant living on this earth. That's what happens when we have communion. It is the meal that heals, but it is not just physical healing. It is everything. It is the enforcement of the kingdom here. The same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant, new covenant, new covenant, 
in my blood, in my blood. He's not taking that blood back. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. You proclaim. You decree. Remember we talked about decreeing? Declaring? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's why we take communion every week. We recognize, we remember, we enforce, we declare, we decree. His kingdom in us, here and now, giving it out to others. When we proclaim his death, we recognize his life. We recognize the resurrection. We recognize his life in us. We recognize his name. We recognize his blood. We recognize his mercy. We recognize his grace. We recognize his forgiveness. We recognize his victory. We recognize the name above every other name. We recognize that the devil is already defeated. We recognize that we walk in the victorious, resurrected, blood-purchased life of Jesus Christ. His power, his dominion, his kingdom here in us, flowing out rivers of living water to other people. Okay, that's what the Lord had for us today, I believe. So, I think we already handled communion, so let's go ahead and get the elements, and we'll be taking.